Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. Have you ever had such an amazing night of sleep that you still think about it? And we're talking about a night that's so restful and so perfect that when you woke up, you felt like a completely new person. A night of sleep that's so wonderful that it's actually become a memory that replays when you're beyond exhausted because your brain just wants to torment you with a reminder of that rest might not ever happen again. There have been three times in my life where I remember this type of sleep. And I know that might make me seem a little bit crazy that I can recall these nights so easily. And I know this might be because of having kids has made me daydream and long for a night of uninterrupted sleep. But I need you to know that before having kids, I actually remembered and longed to have nights of sleep that rivaled the three moments that I'm going to tell you about because they were that amazing. The first time was when I was in high school. I just spent a week at a camp up in Darlington, Maryland. And it was August, so it was hot and humid every single day and every single night. We also didn't have air conditioning at the camp. The days were packed from 7 a.m. till 10 p.m. with games, small group activities, different teaching topics, and a ton more. So it was physically and mentally exhausting. I was also in a cabin with 16 other guys, so there were more pranks than sleep. It was the best week of camp I've ever had. I remember getting home on a Saturday afternoon, and I immediately took a hot shower and laid down to nap around 4 in the afternoon. I then woke up the next day at 8 a.m. I slept for 16 hours, and it was glorious. The second time was when I was in college. During the summer before my junior year, I went on a 30-day tour of Europe with a bunch of my classmates. We had to fly out of Atlanta, so my girlfriend, who is now my wife, we decided that we would actually drive from Maryland down to Georgia. After a long day of driving, we arrived at her cousin's house around midnight, went to bed, got maybe four or five hours of sleep, woke up the next day, went to the airport, 11-hour flight over to Germany, an hour and a half flight back to London. By the time we got there, we hadn't slept for a little bit over a day, but it was midday in London. And so our tour director put us on a bus. He started driving us around. For seven hours, we toured this city. When we got to the hotel that night, it was around 7 p.m., and he said, you have two options. You can either go out and enjoy London by yourself, no chaperones, adults, go do what you do, or you could rest. And so my roommate and I decided, we're not just going to rest, we're going to go to bed at 7 p.m., even though we have a free night in London. And so we went to our hotel room, we turned the AC up really cold, we put, blinds, put the blinds together, we actually put a blanket up, so it's just pitch black in that room, and we slept for 12 hours. It was such an amazing night of sleep that I actually woke up, and I didn't have jet lag. I was ready to go. The last time came about five years ago when Ray and I were taking a trip to Florida. And we were living in Tennessee at the time, so we were actually going to drive through Fort Bragg to visit her family. It was just a normal day, lunch, hanging out with our niece and our nephew. But that night, we slept in a hotel in Fayetteville. And even though it was only about eight hours of sleep, I had such a good night of sleep that on the drive down to Florida, I called the hotel to see if I could buy those pillows, like those exact pillows. I was like, I'm in room 322. I need those pillows. And they told me that the pillows were $80 a piece, so I did not need those pillows anymore. (laughs) Now, I still long for nights of sleep that are like those three, to wake up feeling refreshed and not still tired, like I'm constantly chasing rest and relaxation that seems uncatchable, to wake up feeling energized, feeling lighter, feeling peaceful. I long for that rest. And while it might not be actual sleep that we want or crave, we can understand that longing for peace, that longing for rest, to, feel, to not feel anxious, to not feel exhausted. 
Today we're continuing our sermon series called Musicology, and our goal in this series is to learn a better way to live as taught through the Bible. And the reason why we started this series at the beginning of the year is because a new year offers a fresh start. A new year offers second chances. So instead of turning to a New Year's resolution or just one word, we want to turn to Scripture and see what God teaches. Maybe that will make 2019 better than the previous year. And so to kick off this series, we talked about this idea that we need rhythm in our lives. And we learned that you cannot have rhythm without rest, without pause, right? Because without rest, our life just feels chaotic. This is why God created the Sabbath, an intentional day for his people to rest and focus on him. God created rest and told his people to make sure that it's a part of their lives, a part of their days, a part of their weeks, a part of their rhythms. And so today we're talking about rest, but instead of actually talking about the Sabbath and a pause in our week, we're going to talk about this idea of rest for our souls. Now, I personally long for rest because I feel worn out. I feel beat down, tired, weary, and burdened. I desire to feel like the weight of the world is no longer on my shoulders. I want to live freely and lightly, just as God promises. I'm sure many of you would say that you feel the same way. And what ends up happening is when we feel that way, we begin to search for a solution, for something to pick us up, something to provide us that feeling of rest for our souls. Maybe you look to your career because you think if you'd made just a little bit more money, your life would get easier. Maybe you look to relationships because you feel like if you weren't single, you'd have more purpose or more peace. Or maybe when you feel beat down and you don't have any hope, you turn to alcohol or drugs or another one I say just to numb the pain that you feel to get through another day. At some point, we have to realize that our career or our possessions or our vices and even our relationships cannot give us the rest we crave. They will always fall short and leave us feeling empty, sometimes emptier than before. The only place that we can truly find rest is through a relationship with Jesus. Now check out what Jesus says in Matthew 11. This is arguably my favorite set of verses in the whole Bible. And so this is what Jesus says, Matthew 11, starting in verse 28. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That's kind of a cool invitation, isn't it? And Jesus invites, and check it out, Jesus invites all people, all who are weary, all who are tired, all who are worn out, all who are burdened, all who are breaking down, all who are carrying more, than they can carry. Now, who would that be? I know in my life, that's everyone. That is every single person that I know, that's me as well. I don't know anybody who that doesn't describe. There isn't one person in my life that I couldn't look at and see they are carrying more than what they can handle. They are weighed down, they are burdened, they are tired. In 2005, a travel company claimed to have create, created a formula that could determine the most depressing day of the year. It's called Blue Monday. It was January 21st this year. Typically occurring on the third or fourth Monday in January, the formula takes into consideration factors such as cold weather, shorter days, debt levels in January, right? You get out of Christmas. You're like, that was a great Christmas. Then all of a sudden the bills start coming through. There's the emotional letdown after holidays. That comes when you wanted to see family but couldn't get there or you didn't want to see family. You still had to spend time with them anyways. And the other piece of that, too, is failed resolutions. By now, if you create a resolution, 90% of you are not hitting that goal. And so we have this feeling of, like, we're failing. Life is not what we need it to be. This is a new year. Why doesn't it feel new? To further support this idea, psychologists have realized that they can actually measure mental well-being of people by looking at content on social media. And here, too, there are findings of increased dissatisfaction and unhappiness in January. But here's the thing. 
We don't need a formula to, to, to determine that people feel beat down. We don't need to pick one day of a year where people feel more depressed than others. We see that every single day in our lives, in our friends' lives, in our family's lives, in the strangers that we bump into because we are tired. We're worn out. We're heavy burdened. And that describes every single person in this room today in one way or another, just as it described every single person that Jesus was talking to that day. As Jesus was speaking that day, he was surrounded by people just like us. They're tired and worn out from carrying enormous responsibility in the face of tremendous adversity. They were tired and worn out from trying to keep food on the table, tired and worn out from raising kids, from relational conflict, from marriage, tired and worn out physically, mentally, and emotionally, tired and worn out spiritually. In fact, they were probably spiritually more worn out than anything else. It was a group of people who would say they were burnt out on religion from being told time after time, here's this list of things you have to do in order for God to love you and accept you. And here's an even bigger list of things you don't get to do in order to have God love you and accept you. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And so here's the question, and it's really simple. What in the world would keep a bunch of really tired, overwhelmed, overworked people from responding to an invitation of rest? What would keep a bunch of people from raising their hand and saying, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I want rest, I will come to you? What would keep you from responding to that? It comes down to one word, and that's pride. And I'm probably preaching this sermon more to myself than anyone in here today. And I think there is something deep within us that's a good thing, but it's gone bad. And what I mean by this is this. It is not a bad thing to be willing to push through pain. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing to be willing to face adversity. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing to be willing to work really hard. That's a good and God-given thing. But it is a bad thing to never stop. It's a bad thing to never rest, to never recharge, to never recover, to never replenish. Because that's not sustainable. You weren't made to be able to sustain that pace. And you may not want to stop, but you will be stopped because eventually you'll just drop. I'm going to be real with you about this. Teaching about rest when I have a newborn at home kind of sucks. Uh, it just does. But here's the reality that I've learned over the last four months. When I'm getting less sleep than what I normally do, and I don't sleep a lot anyways, something really weird, hap weird happens. When I'm not getting rest, instead of trying to catch up when I have those moments, I will do more than what I would normally do compared to when I'm getting a normal amount of rest. I make my life busier, more hectic. And I'll push for a while until I hit a wall, and then I'm absolutely no use to anyone. And that comes down to the fact that I am too prideful to admit that I need a break. I'm too prideful to admit that I can't do it all, that I'm tired. And there's a reason why the Bible teaches that the pride goes before the fall. It's because it's true. It does. That's the way life works. And so Jesus invites people who are tired and worn out to him. And he promises, and that's really important, he promises to give you rest. And that word rest, it's a really cool word. It actually means to cease to stop, to be quiet, to refresh. And so Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When Jesus said the word yoke, it actually had a ton of depth that would have connected with the crowd on two different levels. The first would have been on an agricultural level. Everybody standing there lived in a farming society, so they would understand that he was talking, what he was talking about when he mentioned a yoke. A yoke is what you hitch up farm animals to, cattle, oxen, goats, whatever. And you hitch them together so that they can accomplish a task. 
that they can get a job done moving together, not pulling apart from each other, but pulling in the same direction. So don't miss this. What Jesus is saying is, why don't you hitch your life up to mine? He's saying, why don't you join me? Why don't you keep in step with me? Why don't you do life the way I do life? Why don't we do this together? Why don't you go, or not going ahead of me, not staying behind me? Why don't we do this together? The yoke also had a connotation in Jesus' day that would have made everyone think of rabbis and students. Now, rabbis are teacher. Uh, Jesus was a teacher, so oftentimes they called him rabbi. And everyone in Jesus' audience grew up learning the Old Testament, which has over 600 rules, regulations, and commandments. And every rabbi before Jesus, during Jesus, and after Jesus would actually have their own list of interpretations and additions to those rules and regulations. And later, they'd all be compiled together into a book called the Mishnah. And it's a huge book, and it's incredibly overwhelming. And suffice it to say, keeping those rules and regulations was a heavy burden that no one could bear. And so when a rabbi would invite someone to be their student, that student had to willingly accept the challenge of bearing that rabbi's yoke. They would say, I will take your yoke upon me. I, would ad- I will adhere to your rules, all of your regulations. And the more stringent the rabbi, the heavier the load. Ultimately, it was like being a slave to those rules. One of the students was a guy I mentioned last week named Paul. And Paul studied under the most famous rabbi of his day, and he knew what it was like to carry a heavy burden. He knew what it was like to be driven into the ground by rules and expectations and requirements. This is why he wrote this in Galatians 5. He says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Other translations of the Bible actually say, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so Paul is writing to a group of people who are relatively new to following Jesus, and he's asking them, why would you ever want to go back to a place like that? Why would you choose rules and regulations when Jesus offers you freedom? Why would you not want to respond to this invitation that Jesus puts out there for all people? Paul's saying you can trust Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying in his own words. And he's saying, you can trust me. And here's why. Here's one of the reasons why we know we can trust him. And he says this, because he's gentle. Now, no man ever wants to be called gentle, right? Like when someone goes, tell me about Frank, you don't want to hear, well, Frank is gentle. Frank doesn't want to hear that either. But gentle actually literally translates to a word that's, that's called meek. And meek doesn't mean weak. It means strength under control. It's most often a word used in relation to war stallions, being descriptive of great strength channeled in a direction for a pur- purpose, strength under control, Now, I know this might seem weird, but this actually reminds me of my dog, Stella. Um, Stella is 80 pounds. Uh, She's super fat, and she's also incredibly strong. Uh, She is so strong that one time we were were walking, and uh, she saw a cat, and she's not a very fast dog, but she wanted to eat that cat. So she ran as fast as she could. She actually snapped a paracord leash, broke it in half, and just kept running. She didn't get very far. Like I said, she's fat. Um, She's also so strong that one time Ray and I were actually sitting in our living room and she was chewing on a racquetball when we heard a loud pop. She'd actually popped a racquetball with her jaw. It was crazy. But even though Stella is physically strong, she is so gentle and so loving when it comes to our girls. We never have to worry about her using her strength in the wrong way. We have a four-month-old at home. We never have to worry about it. She's incredibly gentle with our baby. In fact, she tends to use it to protect them when she thinks something is going wrong. Anytime someone comes to the door, she immediately puts herself in between our kid and the door, and people are terrified of her. That's strength under control. 
And the best example of this, though, is Jesus. No one has got more power than Jesus. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He could wield his strength against us, but instead he harnesses his power for people. And so Jesus is saying, come to me. I'm not gonna break you or beat you down, drive you into the ground or harm you. That's not my goal. I don't wanna abuse you or hurt you. I am gentle, I am humble. You cannot get more humble than the king and creator of the universe coming to his own creation and serving the very people who have said, we don't need you who said, we can figure this out on our own. It doesn't really get more humble than that. And so Jesus says, you can trust him. And if you come to him, you will find rest for your souls. And Jesus says the word rest, he literally means an inner tranquility while engaged in necessary labor. And don't miss that last part, it's very important. While engaged in necessary labor. He's not inviting you to meditate in a corner. That's not corner. That's not what he wants. He's inviting you to have peace in the midst of the chaos in your life. Peace in the midst of trouble that surrounds you. It's like being in the eye of the storm. It's just one calm place while everything and everybody is freaking out and everything is falling apart around you. And so that's why Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. That sounds kind of contradictory, doesn't it? How can a yoke be easy? It's for a purpose, a job, for work to be done. How can a burden be light? We feel burdens, we know these are not light. The word easy in that is actually really interesting because it doesn't mean effortless. We like that word easy to mean we don't have to try, we don't have to put any effort into it, but that's not actually what it means. It meant appropriate, suitable, fitting. In other words, Jesus is saying you will have a yoke and you will have a burden, but it will fit you. And so this doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have anything for you to do. There are steps that you need to take in your life. It doesn't mean he just wants you to stop doing everything and stand still and not have a relationship with him or not, whatever it may be, there's an action that's involved in it. He's saying there is a yoke that he has a burden for you to bear, but he's saying what he gives you will fit you perfectly. It won't be more than you can handle. It's gonna be something that is appropriate for you, something that works for what God has asked you or told you to do. And when I think about that, I think of the most famous, one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament. And even if you've never been to church before, you've probably heard the idea of David and Goliath. And the story is about a shepherd boy named David who is really young. And he goes off to the battlefield to bring food to his brothers who are fighting in a war against the Philistines. And as he's out there, he sees the battle lines are formed. The Philistines are on one side of the valley. The Israelites are on the other side. And a giant named Goliath steps out to the middle of the battlefield and he taunts them. He berates them. He calls them names. He challenges God and he challenges them. Goliath even says, if you beat me, we will become your slaves. And so David, who hears this, he begins to look around and wonder why none of the Israelites are stepping up to fight. Right? He's looking at his neighbors, his friends. He's looking at his own brothers. and He's wondering, why aren't any of you doing anything about this? Go fight him. Go win. Go defeat him. And so what David does, is he goes before the king, a guy named Saul, and he says, I will fight him. And Saul is this very big, kingly-looking dude. In fact, that's why he became king, because they thought, you're tall, you look strong, you could probably fight for us. And what Saul says, he says, well, if you're going to fight him, here's my armor. And so Saul puts his armor that's designed for this big, giant man on this young boy named David. It's ill-fitting, he can't move, he can't do what he needs to do. And so David wisely says, no thanks, I'll just go out with what fits me. 
And so he just takes his weapon, which is the sling, and he promptly goes out and he does what he needs to do. He kills Goliath in the middle of the field. You don't need to walk around wearing someone else's armor, carrying someone else's yoke. You don't need to carry a yoke that a past relationship has given you, a past parent has given you, a, a past church experience has given you. That's not your yoke to carry. Jesus says he has one that is just right for you. It is the right size and it's made for you. Jesus has something for you to do, a step to take. He has something for you to carry, but he isn't gonna give you a weight that's too heavy. He's gonna give you a weapon in your hand that fits you perfectly. There is a yoke, there is a burden. There are things you have to go through and things you will go through, but Jesus offers you rest so you can face it, so that you can go through it. I bet a lot of you are like me and you get caught up thinking that you have to do it all. Do it all on your own. Keep going till you collapse. But Jesus calls us to live freely and lightly, to not be burdened by that life, to not be crippled by pride that weighs us down every single day. And so Jesus invites us to rest. He says there are burdens to carry, responsibilities to bear, but he's asking us, what if you didn't have to do it alone anymore? He asked, what if you did that with me? What if you yoked up with me? Because if you came to me, you would find rest for your soul. And he promises that. That's what he's saying. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? A lot of preachers at this point would probably like wrap it up and put a little bow on it and call it a day. But for me, I'm a skeptic. I struggle with that. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm burdened. I feel that every single day. And so, yeah, that sounds nice, but what does that really mean? What would that look like in the most important area of our lives? And for you, I don't, I don't know what that would mean, but for me, I'll let you into my life for a minute. Let me talk about the most important areas of my life for a second. The first is my relationship with God. When I walk around carrying this burden, feeling like I have to earn God's love and affection, like I have to perform to get God's attention. And to be honest, sometimes I operate out of this place where I feel like God is shaking his head at me constantly going, are you serious, Michael? That's what you're gonna do today? You're gonna parent that way? You're gonna be that type of dad? You're gonna be that type of husband? I feel that all the time. And when I live in that space, I realize that's too heavy. That slowly crushes me every single day. But when I actually choose to operate out of the truth that the Bible communicates from cover to cover, which is simply that God cannot love me more than he does, and he will not ever love me less than he does, and that the love I receive from God is not contingent on my performance, when I really believe that, when I really trust that, that's when that weight gets lifted. That gives me the freedom to obey him and to respond not out of obligation, but out of genuine gratitude and love. Now, what about my marriage? When I buy into this idea that I have to be raised everything, like I have to complete her, right? The Jerry Maguire, you complete me, car commercial at Christmas, Hallmark, guilt trip crap. When I believe that I have to be her ultimate provider or her ultimate protector, that I have to be everything to her, two things happen. Number one, I fail all the time. And number two, she doesn't get what she needs. And the reason why is because I cannot live up to that. I cannot carry that, I can't deliver that, I can't provide that and it's crushing. And so when I act like I'm indestructible or infatigable, what if instead I admitted that I'm too tired and too weak, I need a break and I'm running on empty? You know what that would do? That would do several things. One, it would invite her further into my heart and my life, which is always, always a good thing. The second thing it would do is it points to the person who is indestructible and infatigable, who never runs out and never runs dry and never gets tired, that's God. And so when I embrace that what Ray needs from me is not to be her God, but rather to be her husband, that weight gets lifted and it frees me up to catch this, be a better husband. 
with my kids, when I believe the lie, like most of us parents do, that we can control every outcome in our kids' lives, that we can control what they do, we can control what they receive from others, that we can make sure everything goes right. When we live under that false expectation, it is too heavy and it is too much. And if I'm being really honest, when I try to control their lives like that, it looks like I'm thinking about doing what's best for them, but I'm actually doing it for me and my own peace of mind because I'm selfish. When I realize I can't protect my kids from everything as much as I want to, and I cannot control every outcome and situation, I cannot force them to make the wise choice. And sometimes in this world, even when they make the wise choice, they will still be mistreated and cheated and let down because that's just the way the world is. When I lay that burden down, when I stop keeping score of my kids' performance because God never kept score for mine, do you know what that does? It frees me up to be a better parent. And what about my job? When I believe that when I walk onto the stage that my job is to preach the best sermon that anyone has ever heard, that my job is to wow you and impress you and to do better than I did the last week, that my job is to challenge you to change your life, but to do so without stepping on your toes and upsetting you. Do you know what that's like? It's like running on a treadmill at full incline. And I can do it for a little while, but eventually I'm gonna fall off and I'm not gonna live up to those expectations. But when I can put that down and embrace the fact that my job is simply to point to God, to point to Jesus and let you work that out, what you think of me and what you think of him and what you think of the Bible, that's not my deal. When I embrace the fact that my job is simply to deliver the mail and not write it, that you have to take it up with the person who wrote it, that frees me up to be a better pastor and a better preacher. Because I'm not carrying the burden of trying to impress you, but rather I'm still trying, all I'm trying to do is try to point you toward God to be faithful to him when, with the gifts he has given me. And do you know what that makes me? That makes this and me incredibly freed to do my best to lead this church and point you all toward Jesus where the answer really comes from. And so that's my stuff. What about you? What about you? What would it be like if you actually took him up on his offer for rest? And the question is, what's stopping you? Is it pride? This idea that you think you can take care of it on your own? You think you have to control every part of your life? And the question you have to wrestle with is where has that gotten you? Why hasn't that burden gone away? Is that you'd rather run yourself into the ground, right? We live in that society where, where we are told you work harder and you do this event and you do this thing. We're told to keep go, 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 right? And that brings us to success or that makes people like us or makes us popular, whatever that may be. So the question is, are you running yourself into the ground in order to try to feel busy or even light from life when all you're gonna do is feel worse and worse and worse? Or is it that you don't trust him? That you don't trust when he says that he is gentle and that he's humble, that he'll actually care for you. That you don't trust when he says that he will yoke up right next to you and he'll actually walk beside you. He's not gonna drag you there. He's not gonna push you there. He will literally walk side by side with him. Do you trust him? And so how many of you are tired, worn out, carrying burdens that are too heavy? How many of you are beat down by life, by work, by relationships, by your career or by your sin? The only place that you can find rest for your soul, and I'm talking about real rest, rest that you don't think it's fleeting five years ago, you wish that would come back, but rest every single day. The only way you find that is through the way God made us and in Jesus, to have a relationship with him. Now, for those of you who are not followers of Jesus, that actually starts by putting your faith in him and getting baptized. We're gonna celebrate that in a little bit. Because what baptism is, it's the death of your old self and the raising up of your new self. It's when you're made new. There's nothing more freeing and more light than that. That's the first place where you need to begin if you want that rest. 
And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, it's realizing that you can't keep carrying the burdens that you carry and that you need to allow God to free you up from those, to free you from the burden of shame, to free you from the burden of, protect, of perfection, to, to free you from the burden of your sin. And that will only happen when you stop letting pride get in the way and you humble yourself and let God lead you. Because the way you're leading your life isn't gonna get you where you wanna go. And so Jesus promises that he will give you rest. He promises he will teach you. He promises that he is humble and he is gentle. He promises that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. What is stopping you from receiving that? There's nothing greater than what Jesus can offer you. And there's nothing better and more freeing and more light than what he will give you. Let's pray. God, um, we're tired. Um, we're worn out. Life is really hard. And um, I think a lot of us come here today, um, come to church on Sunday, just trying to get a small glimpse of freedom, a small glimpse of rest. And so, God, I pray for everybody who feels that way, who feels burdened, who feels worn out, who feels beat down. God, that they stop looking at their career or stop looking for that perfect relationship or perfect hobby or whatever it may be, God, and they ultimately turn to you. Because, God, you promise us rest. You promise us that we will feel light. God, you promise us that you are humble and that you are gentle and that you will walk alongside us. So, God, I pray that that's what we feel today. God, that we don't leave here and go back to the craziness of life and wonder what's going on. But God, this week, we can recognize that you will yoke up with us and walk just right next to us the whole time. God, that you don't want us to be slaves to rules and regulations, but you want us to have freedom in you. God, thank you that you offer that to us because we cannot figure it out on our own. We've, we're trying, we've tried. Um, God, I pray today is a day where people take a step toward that rest. God, we love you and praise in your name. Amen.